Welcome to the FitPro Podcast, a brand new initiative from FitPro for forward-thinking professionals who want the latest information while on the move. We hope you enjoy this week's pod, and for further information about today's podcast, head over to our social media pages and start the conversation. And to offer feedback and suggestions for future podcasts, get in touch with us at publish at fitpro.com. Hello there and welcome to the Fit Pro Podcast. You are with Ben Coomber, the guest for this podcast. I'm the guest interviewer, the host of the UK's number one rated health and fitness podcast, Ben Coomber Radio. Today I'm interviewing, and bear with me on the pronunciation of this second name, Kate Solovova from Precision Nutrition. Kate, hello. Did I get that right? Hey Ben, absolutely not. But I appreciate you trying. I mean, I kind of into the routine of the podcast host butchering my name is the very first step so it's all good <laughs> at least everyone else at least we're consistent oh absolutely so we're right on track so far it's uh salam yoga and there is a reason why it often gets shortened to solo just uh easier people's tongues kate han solo let's get in a star wars uh, reference there <laughs> there you go Kate, tell the listeners a bit about your background and what you do right now in the nutrition education space. Uh, yeah, great question. So I'm a, a Canadian transplant. I was uh, born and raised in uh, Russia, Siberia, which is kind of this like cold, exotic place where they used to send all the bad people. And so I used to fight off wolves and bears on my way to school. Uh, that's at least the, that's the story I tell, and I'm sticking to it. But my academic background is in psychology. I focused on behavioral change, positive psychology, health psychology, and also resilience and stress management. Wow. And out of school, I actually taught psychology at a college and university level for a number of years. So my former life is that of a college professor. And then after that, I found uh, Precision Nutrition, uh, which is the company I have been working uh, with and for for the last probably five years now. Uh, so now I'm a coach. I'm a master coach. I have now coached over a thousand individual clients and now over 100 health and fitness professionals. And they're the population I work with mostly today. Awesome. Well, that is perfect for this podcast because this podcast is aimed at fitness professionals. Now, when we look at food and nutrition, I think a lot of us could quite easily say what we should roughly be eating to optimize our health. Real food, portion control is a factor. But I think the big thing for me that fitness professionals are struggling with is the food environment. Like what's actually happening in a client's food environment, what's happening with them emotionally. And one of the big things I see fitness professionals talking about is their clients emotionally eating. So are there kind of like maybe three top things that you kind of look at when you're exploring why someone emotionally eats? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I think what, what we often tend to do, I think as as uh, health coaches and health and fitness professionals, but also as humans in general, is we tend to jump in with solutions. It's like, oh, you're emotionally eating. Let me tell you what to do so you don't emotionally eat. And that's a very understandable impulse because we want to help. A lot of us went into this field because we wanted to help people eat better, move better, live better overall. Uh, so we want to fix, solve the problem. And I find that's often 
misguided because we're often lacking information. As coaches, we lacking information about the specific client scenario. So I would say the numbers one step here is to determine what does it actually mean that the client is emotionally eating? Whose label is it? Are you determining as a coach that your client is emotionally eating or has the client used that term himself or herself in a conversation? So I usually use questioning like, hey, like you, you emotionally eating, this is something you're struggling with. And I know what it means for me. Like I've struggled with emotional eating myself, but I don't really know what it means for you. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means? What does that look like? What happens before you emotionally eat? What happens during your emotional eating episodes? What happens after? And that really allows me to gauge whether we're, first of all, talking even about the same thing and maybe how aware the client is too about the situation uh, or the struggle that they're trying to manage. So what you've intimated there is that there's a big process of trying to identify the root cause here. And in your experience, do you think coaches spend enough time with clients really troubleshooting the problem and kind of deep diving on their specific problem linked to their emotional eating? Yeah, and I think there there may be a little bit of a logical leap there too, right? Because uh, I wouldn't even go as far as to say, well, hey, like let's determine the cause because... Uh, we're not even there yet. We're just collecting information. Like, tell me what this looks like. Tell me what this feels like. Give me an idea. Draw me a picture. One of the coaches I work with, she used to do this quite a bit, Krista Scott Dixon, who's uh, responsible for our curriculum of precision nutrition. She uses that quite a bit. Like, show me uh, are the two favorite words that we often talk about with coaches, because I think we also tend to overestimate how valuable understanding the root cause is. And I sometimes tell clients because we get stuck in like, oh, why am I overeating? If I only knew why I'm emotionally eating. And one of the things I asked, I said, well, let's imagine for a second that you did know. Like, let's say we just spend two hours right now deep diving into the deep underlying reasons for your overeating, and you and I figure out together exactly why you're overeating. Now what? Now you have the reason, but we actually still have to do the work, right? Like, you still have to do the work. We will figure out the action steps that are small enough for you to implement, etc., But I think we actually often get stuck in the, why am I doing this? Where the question sometimes is, well, does it really matter why you're doing it? And it can be helpful in the overall process. It's like, well, I know that when I'm exposed to this kind of food, I tend to overeat it. Why do I overeat it? Well, because it tastes good is usually the answer. Mm -hmm. Or because uh, I'm bored or I'm tired or I'm trying to fulfill a deeper need in my life. But at the end of the day, the solutions are actually the same, regardless of the underlying mechanism. So what are you then sort of coaching coaches to go and do with their clients? Like, obviously, identifying the problem is important. Is there a specific process that you try and teach a coach to go through with their clients to identify almost like a plan to combat Mm. what they feel is potentially a problem that's holding them back from achieving their goals? Yeah, that's a great way to put it because we talk about scope of practice quite a bit, right? And working with big topic like health, the lines can get blurry sometimes in terms of helping professions. And the one thing I 
always keep in mind, I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach. So my goal is to help my clients make behavioral changes. Uh, and this is where we teach the coaches that we work with various communication skills and coaching tools. Uh, we talk about the motivational interviewing framework quite a bit, which is a framework, which is a therapeutic approach that was developed initially uh, within the context of smoking cessation and alcohol, uh, alcoholism cessation, so managing addictions. And it really talks more around helping the client explore their own ambivalence around behavioral change. Okay, cool. And I suppose now I'm intrigued and I think people that are listening are hopefully intrigued. What does motivational interview empower a coach to do? What makes that different from any kind of other fact-finding scenario? I would say that motivational interviewing actually helps the coach empower the client, which is often what we try to do. We try to hand the power back to the client rather than hold the power in our hand like experts. And this is also the, the roles that I try to distinguish between am I coming into the interaction as a coach or am I coming into the interaction as an expert? So right now you and I are chatting uh, as peers, as fellow coaches, and I'm here very much in the expert role. And I think folks that are listening to us, they're also listening to two experts talking. But if you and I were in a coaching relationship and you were my coach and I was your client, it would be very different because I think you would be erring more on the side of guiding me and providing me with accountability rather than telling you all the things that you know. So I think motivational interviewing is really stressing, empowering the client to come up with their own solutions. And what we also see is when clients come up with their own solutions, they tend to stick to those solutions much better than the solution that is externally imposed by an authority figure. I love that. Yeah, because obviously we're we're looking long-term as coaches to create autonomy in the clients. We holding the power as coaches doesn't really achieve anything long term but I am interested in flipping that on its head a little bit do you feel there's a place for a coach kind of taking a bit of a hard line sometimes with clients because when you reached out on social media and and talked about this podcast we were going to do there was some discussion around clients not taking responsibility and ownership for the process of change that they need to go to And do you feel that there is opportunities or a need for a coach to say, hey, we need to have a really direct chat here and you need to start to look to own the journey that we're going on because this kind of soft talk isn't really working? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. And the the concept that comes to mind here is that of uh, crucial conversations. Uh, It's the, you know, a difficult, often uncomfortable conversation that can lead to growth. Uh, and I think it's also onto the coach to determine when there is a time and a place for it. So, yeah, I think there is definitely time and a place for crucial conversations. But I think I would also want to learn a little bit more. And you are hearing a common theme of I want to learn a little bit more about a specific interaction. What does it mean here that the client is not taking responsibility for change? Because I think, again, uh, it's a pretty universal human tendency to want to shift responsibility and avoid as much pain and maximize as much pleasure as possible. And sometimes it just comes from 
perhaps not understanding how the process of change works, right? Because one thing we have to keep in mind is clients often come to us with a very skewed understanding of how to get results. And where they get that idea is often from the media messages, from the societal messages of, you know, here are the top 10 tips for a better butt, or here's how to lose 10 pounds in three weeks. And then they may come to coaches and we, you know, start empowering them, quote unquote, through motivational interviewing. And they're like, well, what is this? I'm, I'm not actually getting the, the results that I'm looking for. So there may be a need for a crucial conversation. But again, notice that if we are in that space, our client has the power to make the choices to change their life. It also takes the pressure off the coach a little bit, because one very, very common theme that I see with coaches is Clients come to them and they introduce gradual changes or action steps working alongside their clients and the clients maybe don't carry them out or don't see the results they were hoping for. And it's the coaches who take responsibility. They, they feel like they failed their clients somehow. Like, my client is not losing weight. What am I doing wrong? Mm. So I think that's a very common situation and what I encourage coaches to do is take a closer look at what is within your power and what is not within your power because I think as coaches we can all become better we can all become better at our communication skills we can become better at motivational interviewing and coaching tools and techniques and ways of guiding and goal setting but at the end of the day we cannot work out for our clients we cannot eat or not eat certain foods for our clients. And I think that's really the topic of the crucial conversation that can be important. It's like, hey, let's talk about what I provide to you as a coach. Like, here are my accountabilities to you. Here's what I promise you. And let's talk about what you can promise me as a client in order to see results. And I think that can be that can be helpful. And it's very dangerous to you know, promise your clients weight loss because weight loss will be tied uh, weight loss or weight gain or any direct like behavioral outcomes that are tied to the actions of your clients because as a coach you don't have direct control of those actions what is within your role as a coach is to provide accountability provide support provide information if required but not the actions themselves awesome so if we were to wrap up our conversation today around food environment and kind of how we approach the coaching framework with food, emotions and the client's behavior around their food, are there kind of like, you know, maybe three key take homes or maybe three key kind of phrases that a coach can keep in their head to say, right, when I approach the client, this is what I really want to have inside me to kind of fact find to help me move this client forward yeah so i'd say three things to keep in mind as you're going into a coaching interaction one would be the two words that i've mentioned show me and this is you know show me or how is it working for you as a way of exploring the situation further and i know i have to remind that to myself every single time because a client identifies a problem and they're like oh yes i know the solution like you know, let me, let me give you 17 recipes for healthy salads. And that's often premature. So one reminder for myself as a coach going into a coaching interaction is learn or seek to understand. 
before you really do anything else. Collect more information. The other thing, I'm a big fan of a little debrief with yourself as a coach, especially if you are a coach starting out or somebody who's really trying to work on your communication skills and coaching skills. Little debrief after every coaching interaction with yourself. It's kind of like a post-race or post-endurance event debrief. So what went well? What didn't go well? And what would I do differently? I know our tech team at Precision Nutrition, they use that uh, routinely in their meetings and I've stolen that approach shamelessly and been using it ever since. And I know folks report great benefits, even like keeping a coaching journal after their coaching interactions. And it sounds like a very kind of a pain in the butt approach, a very granular, but I think it really helps over time to see the patterns. It's like, oh, that's interesting. The same things tend to go well for me after most of my coaching interactions. I seem to really be building rapport well. What didn't go well? Well, gee, I seem to keep jumping in and providing people with solutions before I learn more. So now I know that about myself and I can keep that in mind for the next one. And then the third one, and I think that's more of a coaching philosophy and that's probably one of the hardest ones. And I've talked to a number of my mentors about it, and it's probably been the one that made the biggest difference in my coaching. It's dissociating yourself from client outcomes and becoming less invested in clients' outcomes. Uh, So the way I see it, my role is not necessarily to help somebody make a change. And that sounds blasphemous coming from a coach, but the way I see my role is to simply help People make informed decisions, to make conscious decisions about what they want to do. And sometimes that conscious decision is about not making a change at all. And I see that as a successful outcome as well. Because if somebody comes to me and they want to lose 10 pounds and during our work, that client actually realizes that he or she doesn't want to lose the 10 pounds and they're perfectly fine the way they are. That's kind of too much work Mm. to lose the 10 pounds. I say high five. That's awesome because that's coaching. I just help you make a conscious decision about something in your life. I feel accomplished. I love I've that. I've done my job. Yeah, because yeah. I think it also uh, eradicates the external goals that are often placed on a client because, you know, we get inspired by social media and we think a goal is our goal from, again, an external motivation, external bit of inspiration. And actually, when you boil down to it with a, as a coach and with the client, that's not actually their goal. Their goal is something different and it kind of actually links to uh, maybe an emotional outcome for them of maybe feeling more confident or loving their body or anything like that. So I think it's these conversations are really important. Anyway, our time is up today. Kate, I'd like to point people in the direction of learning a little bit more about uh, what you're up to or maybe maybe a good article or two around the topic that we've been talking about. So if you could signpost people, maybe where to go next, uh, if they'd like to know more. Yeah, absolutely. I would say I'd send you guys to two places. Uh, So first of all, precisionnutrition.com would be most, uh, probably be familiar with it. It's a great source of just nutrition information and coaching information. And if you want to learn a little bit more about me personally, I write about health, and nutrition and body image and all things coaching as well as 
pretty much that anything else strikes my fancy uh, at my personal website, and that's solomyova.com. That's uh, S-O-L-O-V-I-E-V-A.com. Or if you just Google my name, that will pop up as well. Awesome. Well, we will have those links in the show notes of this show, also in the iTunes description as well. So have a little look in the description. Kate, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks so much, Ben. This was awesome. Awesome. Thank you all for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you think there is another fitness professional that would benefit from listening to this info, please tag them into it on social media, forward them the post. It's all learning. We're all here to change the lives of our clients. That's why we do what we do. I've been your host, Ben Coomba. If you'd like to find out more about me, Google Ben Coomba. Maybe look me up on iTunes, Ben Coomba Radio. If you want to get in touch, I'm all over the internet. Otherwise, that is me. That is the Fit Pro Podcast out. I've been your guest, and we'll see you on another up-and-coming show. Goodbye. For more information about Fit Pro education and for details on Fit Pro membership and insurance, you can visit us at fitpro.com. We hope you enjoy today's podcast and see you next time.